is Killer Innovations, a show about ideas, creativity, and how you can innovate. Welcome to the Innovator's Garage, where you learn to create your next game-changing killer innovation. Welcome to this week's Killer Innovations. This is Phil McKinney, your host. Uh, last week, we had Kim McNicholas on the show, and... Uh, Got a lot of good feedback, a lot of emails with regards to the topic, which was really around what are those next game-changing breakthrough innovations coming from the startup space? Kim, that you know, runs the Extreme Tech Challenge for Sir Richard Branson. I was at Mobile World Congress, Ted, and we just kind of brought that together. So if you didn't listen to last week's show, you want to hop over to Kill Innovations, uh, grab that. You can grab it over on iTunes as a podcast and uh, catch up on that. Also, previously, the four previous shows uh, were just me responding to one listener question, which was the actual process to start from literally nothing to actually start putting together a small team and a small group. And actually, how do you run brainstorming sessions and how do you really motivate those brainstorming efforts to not just get a large number of ideas, but how do you find those top two or three ideas? Um, as part of that, with a lot of questions I got, I, I threw together a bunch of bonus material. So you can go over to KillInnovations.com, grab that bonus material. It's all free. I think most of them are, are PDFs. There might be one spreadsheet in there for the um, for what I, what I call the scouting checklist. Um, but you get all that free. Just go over to the site. You can download that and uh, and take advantage of that. So this week's show, I've got a special guest. Uh, Tom Fishburn. I've known Tom, or I've been I've been a fan of Tom's uh, artwork and cartooning for many many years. In fact, I was trying to think back a while ago. I went back, had to go back through my all my uh, Twitter postings and uh, my uh, blog posts from way back to uh, look at uh, some of the the cartoons that I would take of Tom's and uh, and post them up. There's one that is my absolute favorite, but I don't, I'll 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 save that later for our in our discussion and ask Tom if he actually remembers this one particular cartoon but most recently tom uh, was gracious enough uh, i host an event in orlando called winter conference uh about 600 800 people a year come down for that in orlando uh tom came down and gave a just a just a phenomenal uh, uh keynote speech so i didn't want to let him off the hook by just doing a keynote and <laughs> asked him to to join the to join the radio show today so hey tom Thanks a lot for taking the time out of your Sunday and, and coming on Killer Innovations. I really do appreciate it. Oh, thanks so much for having me on. This is a lot of fun. Yeah. So, Tom, in your case, as a cartoonist, uh, I mean, you started off doing cartoons, at least when I knew, when I first started seeing some of your really, really early stuff. You weren't doing this as a full-time gig. It was kind of, you had a full-time job and then started cartooning. But let's take it all the way back. Where did you grow up at? I know you're in San Francisco now, right? But, you know, where are you from? Yeah, so I grew up in Virginia. I uh, kind of split my time between Charlottesville and a really small town on the Chesapeake Bay. And fell in love with cartoons when I was a kid. Like a lot of kids, I just read the, the weekly paper, you know, the Sunday paper with my brothers. I used to take Silly Putty and <laughs> cartoons I think, over. <laughs> I, think, I think every kid's done that, right? You put it down, you rub it in, and then you peel it off, and then you put it onto another piece of paper. Yeah, and then I figured out I could I could erase the uh, the text and then change the words and make it to make it about my brothers making fun of them. <laughs> so, so, so suddenly it's Calvin and Hobbes talking about my brother. So that was, that was good. so. 
do you have one brother, two brothers? I, I have two brothers. I made I made fun of both of them. One younger, one older. It was great. <laughs> oh, oh, so you're the middle child. Yes. So you're gonna yeah. you're gonna antagonize it's easy you can't get them both going <laughs> it, it explains a lot <laughs> well, my wife is a middle child so i'm now the victim of all that learning she did as a kid on how to push buttons at either end <laughs> i became very good at that <laughs> so uh so you started off cartooning you know as a kid but it, you know did you ever think about that you were going to become a, a cartoonist full-time or was this something that you were just you know, going to, uh, you know, do as a hobby, as a fun thing. Yeah, it's funny. You know, I used to dream about it. I think a lot of kids go through this phase where you talk about what you want to be when you grow up and it's crazy and wild and optimistic. And then you reach this point of, as an adult, where you suddenly start to question it. I think that's never going to happen. So that happened to me. I used to draw like crazy as a kid. And then I hit high school and just let it slip away. And then it's weird. It, I Like a lot of people, I, my creativity sort of took a hiatus for, for a while. And then I, very ironically, I ended up at Harvard Business School and that's where I started drawing again. <laughs> so, so is this a case where the lectures were that boring that you're, that you're cartooning on the sides of the of your uh, papers? It, there, there was so much material to make fun of. I couldn't, I couldn't resist. <laughs> <laughs> so, it pulled uh, it out of me. Yeah. Well, I guess that's, that is the one, uh, uh, the one side effect, right, of uh, of that experience. It, it is. It totally is. Well, so, it's also the fact we we had a student newspaper, and then everyone was, you know, you, we were studying during the week, and we had the student newspaper to send, you know, that you could submit stuff to. And for a lot of people, it was sort of a creative outlet. And I thought, you know, I've always wanted to draw cartoons since I was a kid. Here's a chance to start doing it again, and that's when that's when it really hooked me. So you actually did it for the for the Harvard paper then. I did for the, the the business school has its own paper, but I did sort of weekly cartoon making fun of, you know, being a Harvard business school student. And I just loved it. I did my, my first cartoon made fun of my uh, technology and operations class. And then the next day I showed up to class and uh, the class started and then the teacher put that up on the overhead. And, uh, and two things happened. One, I was in sudden panic and fear because I knew that meant that he was going to cold call me to like start off talking about the case. And then secondly, everyone in the room started laughing. And I thought, ah, this is pretty, this is pretty addictive, this laughter around something I'd created. And that ever since then I was hooked. And now she has one of my cartoons hanging in her office, uh, the professor there. <laughs> so, <laughs> so she was the catalyst. And now she, she, <laughs> and, now, and now she gets to be now she's a fan. Yeah, now she's a fan, exactly. <laughs> So now you go, you go to Harvard, you get through your Harvard MBA, then you went off into a variety, if I recall, like consumer packaged good companies, right? Exactly. Yeah, I was at General Mills, uh, Nestle, and then a smaller company called Method. Uh, most of my marketing career were in those three places. <laughs> and I could only imagine, right? I did, I've, uh, I've had to do a little bit of work with, in the consumer packaging's goods from a technology perspective. So, like, you know, I spent a lot of time at Procter & Gamble working with them, et cetera. That is a whole different world than anything I'm used to. It is. If Harvard Business School was a, was a good conduit for ideas to make fun of, uh, you know, big, big consumer packaged goods companies was even more so. I needed to have that creative outlet. <laughs> so... Were you still doing? Were you doing the cartoons then when you were at the the CPGs? 
Yeah, within weeks of joining General Mills, I looked around me and I thought, gosh, just like Harvard Business School has this funny community of people who all share inside jokes, I suddenly found myself in a class of, you know, associate marketing managers who were all going through the same thing. And I thought, maybe I'll just, you know, keep the cartoon going, but just 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 do it by email. So I set up a set up a simple email list and sent out the first cartoon to 35 of my colleagues saying, hey, I did this cartoon in business school. I'm going to I'm going to keep it going about the world of marketing. If you know anyone who might be interested, forward it along. And then and then that was the only bit of outbound push I ever did. And it just grew from there. So today you well, okay, let's let's continue on down. I don't want to jump to the end here because I kind of know some of the answers at the end. Um but then you 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 worked in the consumer packages goods. You went to Method when they were pretty small still. Yeah, there were there were maybe I found I actually I met them. I, I came across their story when they were just you know eight to ten people working out of a house, and I just love the fact that they were able to, able to create these amazingly innovative products with just a handful of people working out of a house. And here I was at General Mills with uh, the huge R and D center and all of these resources. And I felt like we were locked in this incremental innovation path. And so I was blown away by what they were doing. And then I found out that one of the founders of Method had signed up to get my weekly cartoon. So, <laughs> so I fell in love with it. I thought, I've got to meet these guys. And I drew a cartoon uh, about Method. I, I, I based it on that famous Apple 1984 computer ad of, of you know of of you know kind of going and taking on Big Brother, but I drew it as somebody smashing through the screen of of a big consumer package goods company. I drew them throwing a Method bottle through the screen, and then I sent it to the uh, founder of Method, one of the founders of Method, uh, just as an intro, and uh, and that's how I met him, just through this cartoon. And they, there were only eight people at the time, and it took a little while before they were big enough to hire and, and expand their marketing team. But eventually, I joined them all because of that cartoon. That that is hilarious. <laughs> so, well, that's got to be probably one of the more unique, you know, cold call, re, you know, resume. Open the door for a for a future job. I, I just had dinner with him the other night, and he said, "I've been reading these cartoons for a while, and then suddenly I get one addressed to me, and I and it, and it was like the cartoon was talking to me." <laughs> well, and actually, if you didn't see, I did a Facebook post this morning. I was digging through some of your old ones. And there was one that's the innovation pipeline. And I just thought it was great. So we're going to come right back. We're going to pick up our discussion here with Tom Fishmore, Marketunist. Uh, if you don't follow him, follow him. But stay right there. We're going to be right back. This is Kill Innovations on the BizTalk Radio Network. Talk Radio. This is Killer Innovations, a show about ideas, creativity, and how you can innovate. Welcome to the Innovator's Garage, where you learn to create your next game-changing killer innovation. Welcome back to Killer Innovations. This week, we're visiting with Tom Fishburn. Tom is a cartoonist, better known as the marketoonist, focusing on cartoons and really conveying 
kind of that that message that resonates when you see it you kind of wonder like was tom sitting in my meeting last week uh, <laughs> i've been a big fan of tom's uh cartoons for many many years if you've been a long time listener of the show uh, you've seen me post them and share them and link you back over to tom's site if you're not signed up to follow tom you're missing out you know it's he's uh I, I view him as kind of the Dilbert for innovation. So if you really want to poke fun at, you know, innovation pipelines and brainstorming sessions and corporate decision-making around ideas, you got to follow this guy. So Tom, you know, again, thanks for joining. So in, so in the case when you were switching from really having the full-time gig to getting into doing cartooning for as a full-time job, what was that transition like? What did that take? Well, it took a lot of time <laughs> and figuring out, first of all, how to make money at it, because most cartoonists are really struggling nowadays. The traditional markets of newspapers and magazines are declining. So, you know, to, to tell people you want to be a cartoonist nowadays, it's a pretty, you know, it's not the same way that it looked in the 80s where there was a clear path. So the first thing for me was to figure out how to make money at it. And because my day job was in marketing, I started to realize that cartoons were such a great form of storytelling. Maybe there's a, a fun way to link them together and to create marketing campaigns that use cartoons as a medium. And so that, that idea started to, started to you know, form fairly early on. I got a call from the Wall Street Journal Asia uh, asking if I create a cartoon book for them. And I started to think, wow, if they're contacting me to help them with storytelling, maybe other companies would. And so for a while, when I worked at General Mills and Nestle and Method, I was moonlighting, creating these projects nights and weekends. And, and uh, I, finally, I finally had enough, enough you know, past projects under my belt that I felt like it could be worth taking the leap. And then I faced the point of like standing on the edge of the cliff, like where do, when do I quit my day job and actually you know, take a leap and actually start something? And that was terrifying. It took me a long time to get to that point. <laughs> well, that's, you know, that's, that's not that abnormal, right? A lot of the listeners of this radio show, this podcast, are those people who maybe have that idea. They've got that, you know, they got that passion, but they got that nice, comfortable paycheck, pays the mortgage kind of thing. And letting go and jumping over and grabbing the next, next ring, it is terrifying. How'd you get, your, how'd you get yourself over that hump? I, I was I was sort of hanging on the edge for a long time, and then I I met this entrepreneur named David Hyatt who makes um, blue jeans actually in Wales, but he's an entrepreneur and he he writes and, and blogs quite a bit, and he shared this analogy that he called the V1 marker, which I guess if you're a pilot, if you're taking off on a runway, you there's this point called the V1 line where you're you're going so fast that you either take off or you crash. It's the point of no return. And so he said, what I needed to do, what he, what he recommended is that you draw your own V1 line. Like what has to be true in order for you to actually finally take off? And once you hit that point of no return, you actually jump. And so I thought about what my V1 marker was. And for me, I, I drew a couple of things. I had to, I wanted to have a business plan to, to at least equal my salary within one year. I wanted to have enough moonlighting revenue to equal half my salary. I wanted my wife to be on board and I wanted to have a home equity line of credit. So I had a little bit of a cushion. And I was like, if all of those four things hit, I should just jump. And then, so I'm cruising down this runway and then suddenly all of that's coming to be. And I'm like a week before the home equity line of credit papers are coming through. And, uh, and the company where I was working offered me a big promotion. 
Oh man, talk talk about here. We're gonna test you. Are you really gonna make the leap, or are you, you gonna? Really like, want to do can, it. can I keep you locked into the seat? And someone warned me when I was telling them about this. They're like, right before you jump, you're gonna be tested. Like the universe is going to test <laughs> how badly you really you really want this. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> so it was tough. It was really tough. I finally jumped, but it was hard. It was terrifying. And, and I, you know, I, I took the jump, but for, there was a big good period after that where I was like, what did I do? Was I crazy? And anytime you do something like that, people, you're going to get a lot of points of view from people. And it was really hard for me to, to stick with my gut and, yeah. to, and to feel confident with it. So, in, you know, in some cases, um, spouses can, all, can be somewhat of a challenge getting them on board. Do they really believe in it or, yeah. you know? you know, what their risk profile is. Cause us entrepreneurs, we tend to just be kind of the crazy ones, you know, we'll, you know, we're, 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 we're the, the base jumpers of the business world. Right. Right. Um, so your wife got on board early on. Was that an easy? I am so, I'm so grateful. She was, has, and is, and continues to be supportive all the way through. Um, and even, and through those moments where I was waking up in the middle of the night, pulling my hair out, wondering what I'd done, she would talk me, she would talk me back down and you make me feel better about it. And, and we really launched this together. So we worked together. She, she manages the, you know, the accounting and some syndication and she's does a lot of the sales work and, uh, and we've really started this together five years ago wow. and it's exciting wow. growing it together. So I guess I should know the answer to this question. Do you have you put a book out of your cartoons yet? I've done a lot of collections, but I'm still working on a longer form book uh, that I want to write. Um, what what it's what been interesting when I initially did this, it was just cartoons, and then I really started when I when I started blogging, I started adding a written component where the cartoon would sort of tee up a problem we could all laugh at. But then I started writing, and so that I could point examples to companies that could have a solution. And that that cadence of cartoon plus blog post, I really I really like in the format of the blog, and I'm kicking around a few book ideas to sort of bring that to life in a book. Yeah, and that, I think because one, I've got all I've got clippings of your cartoons all over the place. A book would be a lot easier for me. So I'm, yeah. it's a little self-serving here. <laughs> you got to give me a book, man. <laughs> plus, it's a lot easier for me to buy the book and share it with somebody. That's true. So. Um, we're we're gonna we're gonna get ready to go into commercial break here, so I want to tee up the next piece. But I'm gonna give you a question that I want you to think about over the commercial break, which is, what is your experience when you hit creativity block? Whoa. When you're cranking out a lot of cartoons and a lot of people in the innovation game, we all suffer. We run into these walls um, where um, you know you you just run out of ideas and. And we've had some guests on, you know, artists and that, that have come up with different ways to challenge themselves on projects. But I'm, 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 the, the listeners just really seem to resonate with learning kind of your trick of how do you get yourself over um, when you hit those creativity blocks? Because when you're cranking out a cartoon or, or you got to deliver a cartoon as part of a, of a marketing program, consulting work that you're doing, you, you, don't, you can't say, well, inspire me and in six months, you got to deliver it in the moment at the time, right? And a lot of people think of innovation as just, or creativity is I'll just wait until I'm inspired. So when we come back, I'm going to ask Tom to answer that question. So stay right there. We're going to be right back. In the meantime, if you're interested in improving your innovation ability, text the word innovate to 33444 and we'll uh, drop you some latest information. 
Again, stay right where you're at. You're listening to Kill Innovations on the BizTalk Radio Network. BizTalk Radio. This is Killer Innovations, a show about ideas, creativity, and how you can innovate. Welcome to the Innovator's Garage, where you learn to create your next game-changing killer innovation. Welcome back to Killer Innovations. I'm your host, Phil McKinney. We're going to pick up where we left off. As we were ending the last segment, I gave Tom a question that I wanted him to think about over the commercial break. And that is, is how do you get over kind of that creative block? Anybody that's in the creativity, innovation, or design game, we all come into that time when we just are dry. We just don't have that, you know, that, that, that uh, backlog of ideas. We've kind of burned through everything. Then we need to, we need to, we're under schedule to deliver some great new idea and we're empty. We all run into it. It all have, it's happened to all of us. Um, and I'm interested in hearing, you know, Tom, from your perspective, one, have you experienced it? And then two, what do you do about it? Yeah, it's a great question. It's funny. When I first started drawing cartoons, I had a day job. And so I was drawing one cartoon a week. And when you're drawing one cartoon a week, you can kind of wait for serendipity to strike. Over the course of a week, I knew that, you know, event, you know an idea would surface. Um, but when I started doing this full time and building up a studio where we had clients who were expecting the work. You know, suddenly they, you know, I had deadlines and a lot, my output had to be so much higher. I had to get more formulaic about, I'm not, not more formulaic, but more structured about it. I couldn't just wait for serendipity to strike. And so, so for me, I had to, I had to, I had to build up a, a regular process and sort of trust the process. I used to think, and I think a lot of people think this way, that creativity works like a well, that you're pulling water from a well. And, and then, you know, when you had a hit a creative block, it's like, oh my gosh, the well has suddenly gone dry. And I started to realize that the better metaphor is a little bit more like a muscle, that if you're, if you're exercising and working out regularly, you may, you may be dry for certain periods of time, but over, over time, the, the process will sort of resolve itself. And so I've gotten to be more comfortable with the fact that, you know, for, for me, the process, the first two hours of every day is dedicated to idea generation time. And my only job as a creative person during that period is to show up and do the work. Uh, whether or not the ideas come. Uh, and so if I'm showing up and I'm doing the work, it may be very productive or I may get to the end of two hours and I don't have a lot to show for it. But I've started to get confidence that if I do that every single day, over the course of a week, the, the, I, you know, the ideas may not show up on any one particular day, but over the course of the week, they do. And it's interesting, I'm reading a book right now called Big Magic, um, Creative Living Beyond Fear, which is by Elizabeth Gilbert, who wrote Eat, Pray, Love. And she writes a lot about the creative process. And the, she wrote this book as sort of, she's been so successful with Eat, Pray, Love. Everyone's like, what's going to, what next? How are you ever going to top that? And her, the book is a big, is a big uh, meditation on the act of creativity. And she writes about this idea that if you go back to the roots of creativity, um, uh, you know, a lot of times you think somebody is a creative genius. But she said, if you go to the root of the word genius, the way it was originally used is that you were, it wasn't that you were a genius, it was that you had a genius. 
And so if you're a creative person, this external genius would show up and bring you the ideas like a muse. So your job is to sit there and do the work. And, if, and sometimes the creative genius shows up and sometimes it doesn't. But as long as you're in the chair doing the work, then, then that's your job. And so ever since I, I focused on it in that, in that way, it took the pressure off of me. I stopped getting stressed out if the ideas weren't coming. And I just started feeling, as long as I'm in the chair doing the work, I'm doing my job. And over the course of the last you know, 16 years that I've been a cartoonist, you know, I may have up days and down days like we all do, but over the long haul, the ideas have, have always showed up. My job is just to make sure I set the conditions right, that I'm, I'm focused on, uh, you know, on, on giving it the right priority in my life, that I'm not multitasking when it happens, that I, that I fill the tank, that I have enough creative stimulus, and that I actually, I actually sit down and, 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 and really do the work even if I don't feel like it. And, and those conditions are, are the ones that are most important to me. So in the case of your two hours in the morning, what does that look like? Are you just sketching? Are you just bulleting list out? Are you typing something in? Or what is what do those two hours look like for you? So I always start out with um, with uh, with a little bit of constraints. So I, I usually have a few projects going at any one time. There might be a project with Google, for instance, for one of their campaigns. So I have I have a whole packet of stimulus that I've collected for Google. And then there may be uh, stimulus for my own weekly marketune. Uh, there may be creative stimulus for another project. So I have these separate packets that have all the pre-reading. It's kind of my immersion. And so I sit down. I always, I, I'm very ritualistic when I'm in the home studio. I have a special chair I sit in. I, I have the stimulus laid out. I have my cup of coffee. I always listen to the same album every single time. Which okay, is what? What is that album? It's uh, the My Miles Davis kind of blue. And <laughs> And it's uh, for some reason, I, I put my headphones on, I got my stimulus pack. The moment that first song tees up, I'm already start, starting to get into the space. And then I, I set a timer. The next 45 minutes, I'm going to work on this project for Google. And I take the stimulus out. I have the music going. And then I allow myself to just go really free form with it, not putting too many constraints on the ideas, not worried about how it will appear. It's really free form. I have a big stack of blank five by seven index cards. And I just, I just let myself go with no constraints whatsoever for the whole 45 minutes. And then I forget about the music. I forget about everything, but the ideas, and then the alarm goes off and suddenly 45 minutes went by in the blink of an eye. And then, uh, so my, my two hours every day, is like a sequence of going through a few projects like that at the end of which I have stacks of index cards on every project. And then the most important thing for me is to then not look at them right away, but I stuff them in the packet. And then the next day, the next the next day when I sit down for the two hours, I take out the previous stack of index cards and I go through them. And some of the ideas, just by the act of being, you know, in my subconscious in the 24 or 22 intervening hours, somehow the ideas have progressed in my own mind. That I look at something I did yesterday and I thought, oh my gosh, I could also take it in this direction. And then I add to that. And over over the course of about a week, usually at the end of that week, you know, if I start with Google on day one. By day five, I have some pretty codified, finalized ideas through the process. And how long have you had this process in place? Has this been something you started from the beginning or is it something you kind of discovered over time? I discovered over time. I found um, I found when my output had to increase, I had to build something, you know, build build more into the process. So at the end of every week, I had a certain amount of creative output I was responsible for, and I sort of fell into these routines that that were working for me. Um, and this actually ended up benefit me, benefiting me later on when I started to scale the studio, where I now have other cartoonists besides me. 
because I realized I started segmenting my mind into a couple of different buckets. There is the state of mind I'm in when I'm collecting the stimulus to work on a creative project. There's the state of mind I'm in when I'm coming up with ideas. There's the state of mind I'm in when I'm editing the ideas and deciding which ones to take forward or curating or refining ideas. And then there's the state of mind where I'm actually inking the cartoon and bringing it into visual life. There are four separate, separate uh, ways that I segment my, my creativity. And then when I started to scale the studio and I suddenly had other cartoonists working with me, I realized that it worked really well if I, if I split their jobs according to those states of mind. So some of the cartoonists I work with are excellent at coming up with ideas and others, their real strong suit is actually how they draw and bring those ideas to life visually. So I could suddenly work on a project with Google where I might, I might not have to work on all four of those, you know, in the same level of intensity myself. I can step back and, 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 and compartmentalize and take a chunk of creativity and give it to an amazing cartoonist in Vancouver, for instance, to come up with creative ideas. And then he feeds those back to me. And I plug that into my process and I can be the curator and the editor. And so it's been an evolution over time, but, but partly because I've wanted to scale beyond just myself sitting in, sitting in a chair to a whole creative studio. So in this case, how many cartoonists do you have working for you now? So there, there are six of us overall. My, you know, with my wife and I, she's not as much on the cartooning side, but the, but the other four are. There's somebody who's more kind of a kind of a producer role. There, there are two who are much more on the on the uh, idea generation side of it, and then another two, give or take, who are illustrating. And and some of the a lot of those are, you know, they're they're all on freelance basis. They have their own creative projects, but. You know, going back to what I was saying earlier, where the state, the industry of cartooning isn't what it used to be. Um, there's and these amazingly talented cartoonists. And my goal was to try to find a way that I can tap their talents for some of these marketing oriented projects that I've been working on. So that's Tom, that's that's great from the standpoint of the I like your analogy of the muscle, right, that you've got to get out there and exercise it. You're not going to, you know, story I tell is, is you're not going to you're not going to get off the couch and run a marathon. Right. right, you got to get off the couch. You got to walk. Then you walk a little faster. Then you start jogging, and then eventually work yourself up, get yourself in shape, so you could even have a shot of being able to run a marathon. And a lot of times in the in the creativity innovation space, people just you know kind of like them let their creative muscle kind of go dormant, and then all of a sudden they got to come out with this big burst of an idea, this big burst of something new. So. When we come back from this commercial break, uh, we're going to continue our conversations with Tom Fishburne. We're not going to do a killer question this week. So you don't want to go anywhere. Stay right where you're at. When we come back, we'll pick this up. And I want to talk a little bit about Tom's inspirations. He talked about how does he feed himself. But I'm also interested in other kinds of things that he finds inspiring. So when we come back, we'll pick up on inspiration. You're listening to Killer Innovations on the BizTalk Radio Network. Talk Radio. This is Killer Innovations, a show about ideas, creativity, and how you can innovate. Welcome to the Innovator's Garage, where you learn to create your next game-changing killer innovation. Welcome back to Killer Innovations. This is Phil McKinney, your host. We're picking up in this segment again our conversation with Tom Fishburne. 
a uh, cartoonist that I'm a big fan of. Uh, we'll give you his URL here at the end of the segment so you can know how to find him. But I want to pick up in the last segment where we talked about, you talked about, you know, that the, the element of inspiration, you know, kind of exercising the muscle, but then the inspiration. So expand on that a little bit. What are kind of, what are those, some, how do you, how do you get inspired? You know, what are those outside stimuluses that keep you humming? Yeah. So I, I, I always need to fill the tank and I can tell when the tank's running low, if I'm feeling dry, it, it, it's usually because I haven't surrounded myself with enough uh, stimulus for an idea. Um, and there's a little bit that I picked up when I worked at method, which, you know, we were in this fairly boring category of household cleaning, but we created a lot of amazing innovations. And one of the methods that we followed was something we called the wiki wall, where we were like Wikipedia. The idea was that we would have walls around us uh, for stimulus and anyone was allowed to add stimulus ideas and, and, and add to them at any time. So these were floor to, floor to ceiling magnetic whiteboards that you could draw on, you could stick prototypes on. And we would dedicate a certain area of the white of the wiki wall to a particular problem we were trying to solve. And then people would bring, bring stuff in. And then they led to amazing, you know, uh, additional ideas from other people in the company as they walked past the, these points of inspiration. And the idea was that anyone could add to them, uh, whether you were the receptionist or you worked in accounting, it didn't matter. Ideas could kind of come from anywhere. And uh, I, when I, one of the one of the examples I love the most was a uh, somebody coming in with a uh, horse suppository. As an example of, she was, she was thinking about a new laundry product and came back after visiting a ranch and uh, came back with a horse suppository, put that on the wall. And then that inspired somebody to think about a different form factor for a way to, to dose your, your laundry. And it led to this whole stream of ideas. And so I tried to find my own version of the wiki wall in my creative life. I have, I have wiki walls in my studio. I add stimulus up there all the time. But the idea is like, how do you... I, what is the most meaningful type of stimulus? And I found for cartoons, it's typically some type of pain point, some type of pain point that I'm trying to solve or make fun of. And so I'll usually think of something that, you know, somebody will express a pain point, uh, you know, in marketing or the way innovation works. And, and I'll try to get a really vivid picture of what that pain point looks like. And a typical cartoon project, you know, developing a marketing campaign for Google, for instance, you know, I might identify 10 different pain points and then I, I use those pain points to riff off of for cartoon ideas. So at the end of the process, I'll have a whole stream of cartoon ideas that relate to all of those different pain points. And I found that as I've started to do public speaking and occasionally workshops with companies, um, we'll, we'll follow a similar method where we'll think of pain points that their audience has as leaping off points for innovation. And in some cases, I'll actually teach everyone in the room some basic drawing so they can literally draw their own ideas as a solution to those pain points. And so you get people drawing who haven't drawn since they were kids as a great way to move outside of their comfort zones and visualize solutions to pain points. And it's a, it's a great way to, you know, and a similar type of back of the napkin exercise to get people playing with the stimulus that, that we put out there. Oh, Tom, that's great. Hey, Tom, again, I want to thank you for taking the time out of your Sunday to come share your, your expertise and, and your, your passion for creativity and innovation. If people want to follow you and, and see those, those cartoons, again, I'm, a, I'm telling you, those listeners, I am a big, big, big fan. So if you're, you got to sign up because this, if you're in the innovation game, you want to follow Tom's cartoons. But Tom, if people want to find you, where's the best place to find you? Best place is the website, marketunist.com. You can sign up for our weekly uh, cartoon email there or all of my social channels are there too. Oh, that's great. Hey, Tom, again, thanks a lot for, uh, for uh, joining us today. I really do appreciate it. 
Um, and uh, again, you go over there and sign up. You will you will be careful because you will snort your cereal in the morning if you read some of uh, Tom's cartoons. So uh, if you, for those of you, the listeners that are really looking to come up with that idea and to jump in and, and, and start something, this show hopefully has been a big help for you. Uh, there is a course that is over um, at uh, Amazon. The publishers got it out there for like $19. It's called Killing, uh, Creating Killer Innovations. I'll give it to you for free. Just text the word INNOVATE to 33444. If you're outside the U.S., you can go to KillerInnovations.com slash Innovate. Also, if you want to dig deeper on how really to go from ideas, you can go over to the store, which is innovation.tools. Uh, there's a variety of tool materials for uh, creatives, innovators, designers. Uh, we're building that up. If you're uh, if you've got a product or you got something that you think would fit into the store, drop me a note at Phil at KillerInnovations.com. The one request I've got uh, for you as listeners that would be a big help for me is just give me feedback. You can drop an email to me directly at Phil at KillerInnovations.com, or even better, just post a review over at iTunes. It helps. Uh, me wanted to see your feedback and thoughts on the show, but it also helps other people to kind of hear your thoughts on, on the show and what you find useful from it. And uh, it helps get the word out. And that, uh, that is a big help uh, for us. Um, as we wrap up, we're going into the end of year for uh, the end of our, this year, we're in the 11th season of kill innovations. Um, and so we're getting ready to do some planning on what the end of year uh, segments will look like. Uh, you've been a long time listener. When we finished up, we got to show 100, which is like eight years ago, nine years ago. Uh, we did a special celebration where listeners sent in um, audio stories of things that they did with what they heard on the show. So we're still thinking that out. If you've got an idea of, of uh, how to celebrate, uh, we're going into 12th year, 12th season starting. Uh, at the end of March, just drop me a note and let me know. And uh, that would be a big, huge help for me. Um, also, we are uh, getting ready to release a, a course. I taught a workshop a year or so ago at DeVita, which is a company here in Denver. We recorded that video. We're in the final throes of tweaking that up. It's the seven laws of innovation. And uh, as regular listeners, you'll get early access to it. And uh, hopefully you'll find that uh, useful for you. And as you all know, everything we make, whether you buy my book or any of the other things that you can buy at the Innovation Tools, 100% of the proceeds go to one of two charities, which is uh, Pioneer Education, which is the school my wife and I are building in Rwanda, Africa, or to Hacking Autism, uh, which is a nonprofit that funds and helps those on the autism spectrum uh, both in therapy, in technology, and in career development. So uh, join in, help us out. Anything you do helps us with those with our two nonprofits, and that's where 100% of the proceeds go to. So thanks again for listening to this week's Kill Innovations. We'll be back again next Sunday right here, and you, we are now live streaming it. So connect over at killinnovations.com slash live. You can watch the stream. 
And with that, we'll talk to you next week. This is Phil McKinney. Opinions you hear on BizTalk Radio are those of the hosts, callers, and guests, and do not necessarily reflect those of this station, BizTalk Radio, its management, or advertisers. The information on BizTalk Radio does not constitute a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any product or service. If you have any questions about BizTalk Radio, contact us at 817-274-1609 or at biztalkradio.com. BizTalk Radio 